This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn. Excited to have you with us for this episode. We have a very exciting interview with Ken Harrison, who's the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers, of course, the organization, men's ministry, Started in 1990 by Bill McCartney, a CU Buffs football coach, very charismatic Christian guy. Started to really help men, call men to a higher purpose. You know, it's gone through a lot of iterations and changes since then. So we'll talk with Ken about those and kind of the state of masculinity. What does Ken see happening? We also talk about the need for courage among men today in the church and what can be done to encourage men to be bold and courageous. I also had a great conversation with Ken. He's been named Creep of the Week multiple times uh, by LGBT groups. They do not like Ken, and that is one of the reasons I like Ken. And uh, really encouraging words from him in this episode. So we would encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this show. By the way, if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can join today for as little as $5 a month. We've had a ton of exclusive content on the Patreon-only feed including we had a conversation with Pastor Dan Burkholder and Deacon Ben Garrett about why we have to address women's sins. We've got some exclusive content on there with Dr. Aaron Edwards, who was fired for the show last week. We talked about this, but he was fired for uh, talking about the infiltration in the church of the LGBT community and what's happening in the UK Again, tons of great content on there. We're also going to be posting pretty shortly an interview with Matt Patrick from the Well Church. We're going to talk about how they, uh, his church, were kicked out of Acts 29 and why. We go through some of those details and what's happening in that network slash denomination. So a lot of great content. Again, if you're not yet a supporter of the show, you can support this work and put your dollars towards content that you love and want to see more of as little as $5 a month. However, if you do join at the $10 a month tier, you also get the Hard Men Slunk Eggs Coffee Cup free of charge. We will send that to you. So please do support this show. And without further ado, now we jump into the interview with Ken Harrison, CEO and Chairman of Promise Keepers. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. My name is Eric Kahn. And today, joined by a very special guest, we have Mr. Ken Harrison. He is the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. Ken, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. So Ken, first thing I want to ask you, I know you've got a new book out titled A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. I want to hear just a little bit about this book. Why did you write it? What is the main aim of the book? Yeah, you know, I was on the Los Angeles Police Department and in, in South Central, what most people would know is as Compton or Watts. You know, really violent area, um, saw the worst that there is of, of humanity and my, my life in jeopardy many times in a sea of adrenaline type of thing. And then one day I was hit by a jet ski, you know, so yeah, oh, Ended up in the emergency room, doctor walks in and says, here's the thing, man, you've ruptured your liver. And so broken all your ribs and a bunch of other stuff. But if 
less than 40% of it's been damaged. We're going to life let you out of here, cut it out, and it'll grow back. If it's more than 40%, you got five hours to live. Mm. And he walks out of the room. Oh, and I said to him, well, how do I, like, what kills me? I said, what do you mean? You won't have a liver. Well, yeah, but what, how do I actually die? He said, well, your body will, body will poison itself to death. And he walks out. So it took like an hour <laughs> to get results back. Yeah, he, he had the bedside manner of like General Patton. <laughs> yeah. So I'm laying there for an hour like, am I dying? Do I feel myself poisoning, you know, my body to death? And my overwhelming thought was, what am I going to say to Jesus when I show up in four hmm. hours now? Like what? He's going to say, what did you do with the salvation I gave you? You know, 30 years old. I lived a nice life. I was a police officer. I never cheated on my wife. Not much. Not much. Went to Christian school, Christian college. What did I do to change the world? What did I do to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to save the lost? Not much. And mm. uh, obviously, I didn't die. So that led me on this long path of what's the point of the Christian life? You know, people say, what's the point of life? Well, we Christians say we have the answer, which we do. But once we get saved, what's the answer? Because I don't think most people can give you that answer. I mean, we're saved. We're Christians. We're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. No matter what we've done, we are saved. Now what? So I wrote the book. Why should I have a daring faith in a cowardly world? Why should I give everything? Why should I be willing to say goodbye to all my possessions, Jesus said? Mm. It came to forced choice. I came to turn father against son, mother against daughter. Well, why? What's the Sermon on the Mount? Die to yourself daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. Get rid of your pride. On and on and on. These demands that he makes are so hard. But if salvation was free, what are the demands for? That yes. led me on this long road of rewards of the fact that 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. For our salvation? No, we're saved. Or we don't, we're not going to be at the same judgment seat as the unbelievers. What did we do with our salvation, he's going to ask? Because he says... The overcomer will reign with me in the millennial age. Jesus, his last words in Revelation chapter 22 are, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each person according to what he has done. Oh, what does that mean? And, and on and on. So I go into this depth of the judgment. What does it mean? And what happens from it? Paul beseeches us, run the race like an athlete to win. Fight like a soldier to win the battle. Work like a workman approved by the recruiter. Why? Because there's all these great rewards. There's all these promises that are made. And I'll say I had a, a well-known theologian who read the book and got back to me and said, dude, when I got your book, I was so offended at the idea of Christians doing good works and earning rewards and crowns that I had a pen in my hand ready to shred it up to pieces. Yeah. When I got done, he said, I, I can't unsee what you said now. Everywhere I go in the Bible, it's good works, good works. You're going to be judged according to what you did. Watch your heart. Like, give all. Like, I can't stop seeing it. I can't stop seeing all these promises that Jesus made about all these things that we're going to be given if we're, we overcome this world. If. And so then I'll close with the, on this whole thing. But what really the, I think Nexus comes down to is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you're saved through faith. And this not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Let's no man should boast. Right? So we are saved. By faith, and even the faith we use to believe in Christ is a gift. But the next verse is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning, every person who's placed their faith in Christ, God had a plan of good works for them to accomplish that he laid down at the beginning of time. 
What are we judged on? We're judged on how well we carried out those good works he had for us. How do we figure out what those good works are? Number one, he, he gifted us specifically to plan our good works. So you don't have to run a big ministry or have a great podcast. You know, your, your plan for you may be to raise great kids. It may be to be a great school teacher or a great business owner, a great cop. Right. He's given us those plans. How do we know what they are? Matthew 5 through 10, the Sermon on the Mount. I have three chapters in there. And what does the Sermon on the Mount really mean? That's Jesus pulling away from the crowd, speaking only to his, his apostles and saying, you want to be holy. You want to be sanctified. You want to have everything this Christian life has to offer. Let me give you some really strong and, and terrible demands to carry out. And the only way you're going to do those is if you're walking with me. If you are, those demands become really easy because your heart and my heart are aligned. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think much needed in our day. One of the things, Ken, it seems like is so important is this element of courage. Uh, one of the things we've talked about on the podcast, even the Latin root, uh, root word for men is vir, which can mean courage. So I, I want to ask you, when you look at it, masculinity and the state of manhood today, why is courage in particular such an important virtue to be cultivating in men? Well, I'll tell you what, man, you want a scary verse. Revelation 21.8 is a list of all the people who will for sure be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. You know who the first person on that list is? Cowards. It's sobering. You got murderers. You got the sexually immoral idolaters. The All the usual suspects. That list starts with cowards and it ends with all liars. Wow. Will go to the lake of fire. That's a promise at the, at the very end of the Bible, which obviously means that if you're a coward, you never really believed in Christ, right? Right. So for one, <laughs> you, you want to have courage because... You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. <laughs> Again, not that it's from works, but that's... The other thing is, you know, how do you define courage? I talk about that in the book of what is courage and what is cowardice. And, and what I've said is courage is doing the right thing even when you're scared. Mm. Cowardice is not doing the right thing because you're scared, right? Heroes are terrified. People in the battle are terrified when they're running towards the sound of guns. It's terrifying to stand up for truth when everyone's going to turn against you. Hmm. everyone's scared. It's what did you do while you were scared? Did you still stand for truth or did you not? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, and I wonder too, as you think about, you know, some of the, the way church leadership has gone or politicians in our country, it seems like one of the fundamental elements, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like one of the biggest things is courage. Some of these people obviously need to know Jesus and, you know, be born again, all those things. Very important. But it seems like we're, we're missing it in the public sphere as well. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And I would say, you know, we're living in, I think, the last days. And we're promised in First and Second Timothy and Second Thessalonians that in the last days, people will heap up for themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Right? The people will not tolerate sound doctrine or sound teaching or sound truth. That the Spirit clearly says, Paul says, that people fall after the teaching of demons. Right now, I think we see, and, I, and I'm, I'm when you be critical here, I don't mean of all pastors. Some pastors are godly men who are doing the work of the Lord. Yeah. But on a vast scale, we see pastors who are heretical. We had a famous pastor last week come out and said that the Bible wasn't clear on homosexuality. Yeah, it is. Read First Corinthians chapter 6. Yeah. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, uh, verbally abusive people and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so are many of you. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were redeemed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Is that vague? I don't think that's vague. <laughs> so we have many people in the public sphere, including many pastors, who are misleading people right now, which goes back to that verse I just quoted, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do not be deceived. These people will not. If someone's telling you different, that person is a liar. That person has the spirit of the Antichrist, First John says. Be careful about who you're listening to. Yeah, and I think it's such a huge point, too, because when you look at particularly like biblical sexuality, which that issue obviously is central, you know, in biblical sexuality. But it, this is really the area where I see most of the cowardice. Uh, the passages in scripture generally, they're, they're like you said, they're not unclear. But if you do speak boldly on them, uh, you're going to get that. For instance, uh, when I had Googled your name just now, I was like, I wonder what comes up when you Google Ken Harrison. <laughs> I think it's number four is Ken is creep of the week at an LGBT website. I made it three times, three times, three, three times publications that made me creep of the week. I'm like, well, who was creep of the year, man? I'm trying to get, did they at least send you an award or something? I was, and plus it's what's funny is if you actually click on them, it's, it's like got my face and they've like stretched it out to make it look like I'm fat. And they've like taken black lines and drawn. It's awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's funny too, cause uh, you know, I, I was reading that article and I was like, wow, all these things uh, that they're saying about Ken, I actually like Ken more now, uh, having read them. So this is great. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it just shows you what you're up against. And it brings me to another question, kind of overall state of masculinity and manhood. As you look out on the country, what are you seeing? I mean, w we're getting a lot of right. To toxic masculinity has been around for a long time. People have been using that kind of language. But as you look at masculinity, you look at the state of men in our country, what are you seeing? We are reaping what we've sown. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1920s and 30s said that the American church was cheap, teaching cheap grace, grace, <clears throat> grace without for, salvation, without repentance, which I, by the way, Atticus Finch is somebody I hold up as the model of masculinity, which <clears throat> is here's a guy for people who didn't see the movie with Gregory Packer, read the book. And if you haven't read the book, it's a great read. But he stands up for justice for someone who's been falsely accused against the whole town. Everyone's against him. He's a single dad raising two kids, not violent, not macho. You can see him in his cardigan sweater out on the rocking chair at a southern you know, porch smoking his pipe. You know, it, that's Atticus Finch. Yes. And wanting us to get away from this macho idea of Christianity and running around with swords at men's things. And I'm like, with promise keepers, I'm like, man, Atticus Finch is our model. This is yeah. a Man, you're standing up for justice. You don't need to be violent. You just need to be strong and courageous. So the, the state of masculinity, we have an enemy, the devil, that's always trying to throw us off kilter. He's always trying to get us to do whatever is not right. So I think right now we have a spirit that's 90% effeminate and then 10% overly macho and trying to find the Atticus Finch spirit of what really is a real man. But I believe it comes from that cheap grace we talked about, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is you're saved. Now you got nothing left to do. So just sit back and you got yours. Well, that is not at all what scripture teaches. So I'm going to back to the book a little bit. But at the end of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, there is a ruler who goes out on a long trip. He says, I tell you the truth. When he comes back and finds a, his slave at work, he will put him in charge of many cities. Mm. But if that slave says in his heart, 
My master's gone on a long journey. I don't know when he's going to be back. So he eats and drinks with drunkards and beats his fellow slaves. When that master comes back, he will throw that slave out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth mm. with the hypocrites. So it's one, one slave. Only, only Christians are slaves of Christ with a choice. If he's working while Jesus comes back, he'll be rewarded and put in charge of many things. If he's not working, if he's living the good life, there's nothing wrong with, with living a good life, but living the good life, meaning eating and drinking with drunkards is euphemism for not caring about anybody but yourself. Beating his fellow slaves, that is a euphemism for getting other people to do the work that's your responsibility. If that's who you are, it ain't going to be good for you when Christ comes back. You're not going to be going to hell. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be in that outer darkness outside looking at, oh my gosh, this wasted life. Weeping and gnashing teeth is not hell. It's sorrow and anger at a wasted life. I think when men get that proper message that this life matters, because I think the cheap grace message has really taught all of our people, but men specifically need a reason to live. They need a mission. They need an identity. And when your identity is you're a sinner, you were saved, there's nothing left to do. What's my identity? Well, I'm a sinner. So I guess I'll keep sinning because Jesus already died for me. How about yeah. your identity is you are a son of the most high God? Act like it. Mm. If you act like it, you will be rewarded for all of eternity. Now that dog will hunt. And that suddenly gives a man a reason to be courageous and to risk being called creep of the week. <laughs> By the yeah. way, my daughter, who's, a, who's 27 years old, who's an English teacher, sometimes she just calls me the creep. Just <laughs> the creep. Hey, what's up, creep? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's a badge of honor at our house. It is. Yeah, no, exactly. As a huge proponent of the carnivore diet, I quickly learned how great eggs are for you, especially when you slonk them 8 to 12 at a time. But whether you drink them raw or scramble them with some sausage, they're good for your heart and mind, and they help you build a ton of muscle pretty quickly. My preferred source for eggs is from my own backyard. And I've loved getting my birds from Ideal Poultry. Ideal Poultry is the number one backyard poultry supplier in the country, and they're also wonderful people. Ideal is owned and operated by a solid Christian family who is worthy of your patronage if you are looking for some fantastic birds. So visit Ideal Poultry today at idealpoultry.com. Again, that's idealpoultry.com. You can also check the link in the show notes. No, and I remember you saying too, in years past, like when you look at things like what kind of men are your daughters going to find, you know, you think about that, the state of masculinity is going to impact women as well. So I guess if you would just talk just a little bit about that, um, as you've navigated that as a father, how, how do you deal with the problem with masculinity as you're raising daughters? I've often said that, that the, the reason... I want to help men be better men is because I have a passionate heart for women and children. Mm. Men are screwed up. It's women and children who suffer. You want to help women and children fix men, right? The only way you can fix men is getting them to turn their hearts to Christ. And yeah, I'm so grateful that our daughter married a godly young man. And he uh, went to Liberty University and came back with an awesome husband who's like a son to us. And we just love him. But dude, I, I think if you're a, a woman today, who are you? Who are you supposed to marry? I mean, you look at guys obsessed with video games, obsessed with porn. Their idea of sex is some jacked up, crazy thing that no woman could ever live up to because no woman could ever be 50 different women all edited and airbrushed at the same time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's a horrible thing. I would tell you what I did 
is lay strong standards for my daughter. This is what a man is. You'll love this, but when my, my son-in-law came out to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage, he, he played defensive tackle for Liberty, you know, so division one defensive tackle. So I'm a big guy, but he, he bigger. And uh, he's like, Hey, can I come out and see you and Mrs. Harrison? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You want to come out in December just to see me and Mrs. Harrison. Right. So I knew what was coming. Oh yeah. Well, he gets here and there's a blizzard going on. So I live in Colorado, you know, so he, Hey, Mr. Harrison, you want to go for a walk? Do I want to go for a walk in eight inches of snow and a blizzard? Sure. No one. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but as we were walking and he was him and Han and asked him for the daughter's hand in marriage and all this kind of stuff, which was really neat. And I really, like I said, I loved the kid, but I'd known him for like a year at this point. I said, no, look here, man. Here's the thing. I'm my daughter's father. You might become my son. You'll have to earn that right. She didn't have to earn that right, but you will have to earn that right. And when you marry into a family, you marry the whole family, whether you like it or not, that's just how it, how it works. And so in this family, if you got something weird going on with you, if you got some weird perversion, if you got some temper thing, if you think you're ever going to hurt my daughter in a myriad of different ways, I'll kill you. Now, if you're okay with that, you're, you're welcome into the family. And he kind of laughed and I said, dude, I ain't kidding. Yeah. You know, I'm a former LA cop. You better never have my daughter walk, come, come running home all jacked up because you will wish you'd never been born. Now, did I mean it? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, my daughter needed to know that that's how I felt about her. And that's what I would say about her. And yeah. He needed to know that's how I felt about her. And I'll tell you what, he didn't need to be told that because he's such a great young man. But mm. I would say to dads out there, your daughter needs to know that she's the apple of your eye and you'll do whatever it takes to defend her. And I'll tell you, a lot of women are jacked up today because they don't trust the men in their lives. They mm. don't feel protected. And their dad, and men, a lot of guys are screwed up. I don't care how badly you screwed up. I'm sorry are powerful, powerful words. And you go to your kids, and I don't care if they're 15 or 50. Every daughter wants to think that her dad would do whatever it takes to protect her. Every son wants to think that his dad loves and respects him. I don't care how bad you screwed up, man. Go back. I'm sorry for this, this, and this. It's a swallowing of pride. It might be really hard, and you might get yelled and screamed at because of the bitterness they've carried with their whole life. Hmm. But if they know, if your kids know, and they may never, maybe the bitterness is so bad, it never totally comes back around. The healing that will occur in their heart, even if they never say anything to you, you can't replace that. And I'll tell you what, Christ will know that you did it. Hmm. That's what this is all about with our kids, man. Yeah, that's huge. One thing I found as a father and also pastoral ministry, just that the, the worst thing you can be to your kids is a hypocrite. Like, it, don't try to pretend that you, you're not a sinner because they know, they already know that. Uh, but it, what is unusual is the piece of the gospel that you bring when you confess sin, you repent, you ask for their forgiveness. I've seen that work pretty mightily in people's lives. Um, it ties to something else, though, that you mentioned, which I think is an overall fatherlessness problem in America. So it's masculinity. We, we know that that's an issue. But as you're dealing with promise keepers, I'm sure you talk to a lot, a lot of men. This has got to be a huge thing on the front of your mind, like not having a dad or having abusive dads, being fatherless in some way. This is catastrophic for culture. Are you seeing that uh, as you look out at men in America? Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge issue. I'll, I'll, let me take it on from both sides. First of all, I'll take it on the side of the man who 
yeah. didn't have a dad or had a crappy dad. I, I hear more fear today and I hear more guys trying to lay off all their issues on their father. Look, if you had a bad father or no father, you started off a little bit further back than the guys who did have a good father, right? Bummer. Now get going. Right. Stop blaming him. You know, I had one guy, a real famous, you know, entertainer guy, call me up and just puke on me for an hour. And in that hour, he basically told me how crappy his dad was. And then he told me how crappy his kids were. And he explained, you know, that all of his mistakes in life were because of his crappy dad. And they explained about how all his crappy kids, that was somebody else's fault. And I said, that's interesting. There's a missing link here. (laughs) Yeah. Everything, everything wrong with you is your dad's fault, but everything wrong with your jacked up kids is somebody else's fault. Right. You see the commonality here? Yeah. If you had a bad father, that, that's a bummer. And, and our hearts believe you, you know, get over it and get back in the game. Okay. So that, I think we, yeah. need start, Christian men need to start hearing that. And I guess some of it, I mean, I know that there's some powerful, terrible woundedness that goes, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to say, you've got a whole lot of people willing to bleed with you and cry with you and tell you how it's not your fault. You need to start having some men say, oh, that's true. Now get going. Yeah. Because other people are counting on you. Now, for the more important thing of don't let your kids be fatherless kids. And you may have a jacked up ex-wife or you may have a jacked up girlfriend or you may, whatever it takes, do what you can to be the man in that child's life, even if it costs you, even Mm. if it's hard. What can you do to show up and be an example of what a man is? And man, again, you, you may never know the influence you have in life. Sometimes the great things that we do, that we pour ourselves out. They are carried out in generations after we're dead. History has shown us how many people who wrote the great book or did the great thing never saw what, what came out. I'm, I'm reading the book 1984 right now. Oh, yeah. He's like, dude, dad, you got to read it. I'm like, okay, I'm reading it. But what I was reading about um, the author, George Orwell, was that he died like right before the book came out. He never even really was able to Interesting. see what a huge novel it was. Yeah. So... This is not the thing that all men need to know, all Christians, that it's not about you, man. Not about you. It's about what can you do to bless others, to bless God's children. And if you bless his children, where promises are promises upon promises, he will bless you. Joy and power in this life, but much more importantly, um, great rewards for eternity. Yeah, that's absolutely huge. Uh, one of the questions I had too, uh, thinking about your background, so you go from being an LA cop to finding your way to Promise Keepers. Uh, what was the first time that you realized, like uh, this ministry to men in particular with Promise Keepers, is where I want to pour my life's work into? How did you know that? It's a it's an interesting story because I didn't want any of that. The long story short, I left the LAPD, I got into business, and was really successful, and I retired in 2012, and. I was really praying one day, just really pouring my heart out. And I, I really had a plan laid out for the rest of my life, which was a lot of nothing. Like I was going to be a really good guy and have a ranch. And you'd think about it after you know, being yep. in the Jesse accident. But my thought was I'd, I'd already done a lot in business. I'd witnessed a lot. I'd been sued for being a good Christian and all those things. So I was really praying. And, and all of a sudden, God came to me in this really vivid way and said, Ken, I did not teach you all I did and put you through all I did so you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. Now, I got to tell you, man, I was raised Southern Baptist, so I'm not, this is not something that I run around saying God spoke to me and all this stuff. This is a, 
I joke all the time and say, you know, when he said that, I said, God, I'm a Baptist. You're not supposed to talk to me. <laughs> we have street. rules against this. Yeah. We all know that you don't talk to people. I'm, I'm just kidding. But I was shocked because he'd never talked to me like that before. And I hmm. said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? And it came with this deep warning of be careful of your answer. It's going to cost you your life. Hmm. And I said, I don't know. Like I started whining at God. I don't, don't want to, I'm thinking I'm going to live in a hut in Nigeria or something. I'm not thinking, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, I wrestled with him for two hours. And uh, finally, when I said, Lord, you knew my heart. When you ask me, I'll, whatever it takes, if you take everything from me, it's yours. I, I want the best you have. And then he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. And that was it. And he was silent for four years. Hmm. So now that I had uh, really was back to doing what I wanted, now I was very unhappy about it because I was like, what's this call? And so I really got upset about it after praying, praying for a couple of years. And so I grabbed my little New Testament with the Psalms and Proverbs and I I hiked up in the mountains with a thermos full of coffee and a sandwich. And I, and I got up to this little waterfall at sunrise. And I said, Lord, like a little kid, I go, I am not leaving this waterfall until you tell me what my call is. And by the way, I had been, my wife had been praying and told me, can I, I've been praying and I just keep getting one word, wait. I'm like, I don't like that word. Find a different word. No, I just wait. That's so right. I get up there, sitting there at the waterfall. And I said, to, I literally, I said, Lord, I mean, if I'm here all day and it starts to get cold tonight, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I really want you to talk to me, you know. So I got my thermos and I open up the little New Testament uh, to a random passage and it happens to be Psalms 27. Um, wait on the Lord, be patient and strong and wait on the Lord. <laughs> so there it was. I find when God speaks to you, his favorite word is usually wait. Wait. Yes. And so a couple more years go by. Finally, when Promise Keepers came up, I was teaching men's discipleship groups all around Denver. Tons of men coming to me saying, teach me how to be a man, how to be a father. And you know that, the, the drill. Shocking what men don't know that we would consider to be so basic. So I was teaching that. Guy comes in, was running the, the essentially dead organization of Promise Keepers, Raleigh Washington, who's a dear friend, said, I need help. Would you come on the board? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to run a dead organization. And uh, would you come to a one board meeting and help me out? So I went to one board meeting, saw that they were so messed up. And so I actually took over Promise Keepers to close it. I run a, a interesting foundation. I brought into the foundation, said, clean this thing up and close it. So it's, it's done. And that's when God finally spoke to me four years later and said, remember that conversation we had? This was it. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. I mean, Promise Keepers was, it was made by Coach McCartney. It's got this unbelievable. Yeah reputation like i don't want any part of being responsible for that like i didn't build it it's it's too big and the lord said i've been preparing preparing you for this your whole life so that was 2017 actually i guess it was five years by the time that happened but yeah that's the long version of the calling i didn't even see it coming or know it was yeah that's incredible uh one one of the things i was going to ask you too i mean i i grew up you know like you said coach mccartney uh was in denver we're buffs fans Right. Oh, Promise really? Keepers was going on at Mile High Stadium. It was phenomenal. Um, but then I think for a lot of people, like we lost track of the organization. I, like I, there was a time I didn't even know that it still existed. So kind of walk me through, I guess, the trajectory of how it's changed, where you guys are today. 
And, and is it different? Is it the same? What's, what's the commonality there? That's a great question. I mean, just for people who don't know, uh, it was the thing of the 90s. It was the biggest Christian men's movement in the history of the world. Yep. Seven million men went to Promise Keepers events. In, in 1997, Promise Keepers sold out 22 NFL stadiums. Wow. Sold out 60 to 80,000 men. Culminated at Stand of the Gap in Washington, D.C. with 1.4 million men came to D.C., the biggest gathering in history of D.C. So Promise Keepers was a big deal. That's why when God called me, I'm like, oh, ooh, I don't. I don't know. And then it, it um, really Promise Keepers made a major mistake in 97, which they stopped charging for events. Sounds like a great thing to do. But the, what, what we realize is that men don't value what they don't pay for. There's buy-in. So, yeah. Men would then snatch up all the tickets and then having gotten all these tickets for free and then not come. So Promise Keepers would then go out and putting on one of these NFL stadiums events is extremely expensive. So they put on an event with no guaranteed money to pay for it. Mm. Then the men who took all the tickets don't show up. And now you've got a stadium with 25% filled and nobody giving the money. And so they fell into financial difficulty really fast. There's a lot, obviously, way more to the story than that. But that kind of sufficient for now. It just sort of declined from there. And now it's come back. We had a big event at Dallas Cowboy Stadium in 2021. It went very well. The Washington Post did a huge write-up. Couldn't believe we got 30,000 men to a stadium during in the middle of COVID. And actually, it was pretty complimentary to us. Massive amounts of people got saved. Three women ushers got saved. Kitchen staff got saved. It was, it was an incredible event. The problem is we begin to think God's going to do a great thing the same way he did before. We see that in scripture all the time. In reality, when God does something, he does it differently. And so he did let us move forward in faith and bless the Dallas event, although there were some some scary moments about leading up to that. But it did turn out to be a great thing. Now we realize that he does not want, that's not the plan as far as we can see right now to start going to these NFL stadiums again, because times have changed and technology has changed. So the Promise Keepers events in the, of the 90s, you had men go and have mountaintop moments. The stories we have of change from those are unbelievable. I, I mean, I could, I could bore you for half an hour stories. One story, a gal, 40 years old or so, told us that she was in college when her dad went to an event. He was an alcoholic, a workaholic, a crappy father. She barely knew him. He left a Promise Keepers event, drove straight to her college, got on his knees, and asked her for forgiveness of being a terrible father. Wow. She said, now, 20 years later, he's my best friend. I mean, he's a godly man. She's a godly woman. Um, talked about forgiveness and stuff and, and asking, you know, saying you're sorry. Yeah. So we had those moments. But the problem was, where did a guy go after? So you go to, to the Silver Dome and you have 70,000 guys. You have this amazing moment. Okay, that was Saturday. Sunday, where do I go to church? And we found that there was not discipleship happening a lot of lives were changed, but a lot of lives weren't changed. And they had these mountaintop moments. Now what? So we have realized as God has, again, slowly allowed us to see what's coming. There is an epidemic of the friendless American male. And men today don't need these huge events. They need friends. They need discipleship and mentorship. They need godly content. Because in the 90s, you still thought you could go to a church and, and get godly content. Today, man, we've got guys teaching garbage from, from pulpits. Yeah, big time. We talked about that already. And so where do you go? What do you do? So the first thing we've realized is the most important thing we've built is this app that we have. Guys can go on the app store and get it. 
It's actually remarkably used. When you look at all the parameters for how apps are gauged, ours are like crazy good because there's no competition for us. The app is really good and it's getting better all the time. But there are hundreds of thousands of conversations going on there right now. You can literally get on there and talk to somebody in Ukraine who's on there. And you can speak in English and type away and he'll get it in Ukrainian and he'll type back in Ukrainian and you'll say it in English. I mean, unbelievable stuff that's going on in our app. Really good content, really good sermons, good books to read. We've done several virtual events because of the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. We did one on sexual integrity where we had 250,000 people watch it live. Oh, wow. 5,000 men go through our getting healed from pornography, a 30-day challenge. So really amazing. Now, all that stuff's free. Everything we have is free. But we realize now that, that we're not going to leave people there. But the app, we need to get men connected and interconnected with each other, not just around Bible study, but doing things together. And then um, we're starting a tour. October 27th will be the first one. And it won't be at stadiums because we realized the stadium event is such a massive thing to carry out. It takes so mm-hmm. much staff and all this. Actually, wouldn't we be way more efficient to go to individual cities, go to a mega church where it's free for the most part, keep the cost down, feed them in dinner on Friday night, do a, a miniature event on a Friday night. We're calling it an evening with promise keepers. And then on Saturday, we have all these diff- different projects that the churches are helping us put together. So, okay, you've had this great moment on Friday night. Saturday, let's get together and serve the community and start making friends, godly men doing things together. So that's the next step. October 27th in Houston will be the first one. We're going to go to 10 cities all across the U.S. to do that um, through the first part of um, 2024. So that's a long version. Again, the app, go to one of these events when they show up. There won't be that many tickets because we're talking about churches. We're talking about like 3,000 tickets to go. But then we'll show it virtually all throughout that city. So in Houston, we'll sign up churches, you know, hopefully hundreds of churches just in Houston. And all of those will be free. So the guys mm-hmm. will pay for tickets because of the lesson I told you that we learned. All the simulcasts will be free. Everybody trying to come together, hopefully tens of thousands of guys coming together to do good work in Christ's name on Saturday and show what happens when the men of God come together and then tie them together through the app. Imagine if we get 50,000 guys in Houston on that app in relationship centered around Christ and good works. What do you think we'll do to Houston and then the next city and then the next city? As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increased longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for more than nine weeks now, working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts or four per week, and I have increased my deadlift and squat by well over 100 pounds and my bench press by over 60. I've never had weightlifting coaching before, but with custom tailored workouts and constant feedback, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 350 pounds. My squat is over 350 pounds as well. And on bench press, I've hit 250 pounds, and those numbers are still climbing. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years that you have left on Earth? 
Sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. Visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen to get paired with a coach today or use the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, Ken, because I think that was one of the critiques, I guess, I had heard for years. I, I'd actually never been to an event, uh, knew people who had gone. Uh, but like you're saying, like, you know, the need for follow-up discipleship, being involved in local churches, that sort of thing. So it sounds like you guys are addressing that. I also think the issue of male friendship is interesting. Uh, I saw, I think within the last year or so, it was a fairly hilarious meme, but it said, you know, everybody talks about Jesus' miracles, but they never talk about the miracle of him having 12 friends in his 30s. And uh, I, I had to laugh, but then I started looking around my world, and I was like, I don't know what it is, but men have a hard time in our culture developing friendships. And we're not talking like, oh, you don't have 12 friendships, but like you don't have any. You don't have any male peers, especially outside of work, um, in the church. So I, I think that's a huge thing. It kind of ties in, I think, as well to the need for what those men provide, which is accountability would be one of those things. So I want to ask you on that front, why, why is men and accountability, you know, you've talked about pornography as well. I'm sure accountability fits in in those scenarios, but why is this issue of accountability so important to address? Eric, I've had to think about these things deeply. And um, why do we have an epidemic of friendless men? Yeah. When you look at the history of the world, men had to come together in interdependent communities to survive. Yeah. Right? I mean, so you look at how hard things were to accomplish. So you had to have a blacksmith and you had to have a farmer and you had to have someone to train the horses and on and on it went. And we did things together to survive and we counted on each other. And if there was a guy you couldn't count on, dude was out, next guy, right? That's why it was so terrifying in the battle to be thrown out of the community because how are, how are you going to survive? Right. That's been the history, you know, forever long our world's been here. That's always been the case until lately. Women make relationships by communicating. They have lunch, they have tea, they go to a little thing and they're very happy and they, they go to the, the baby shower and, and they have friends. Men do not make friends by communicating. Men make friends by doing. Mm. And we don't do anything together anymore. Even though if you look at the church, we show up at church on Sunday, we're there for however long, we go home. Well, that, that ain't making friends. And then most churches, men's group is a, is a Bible study at 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday. Like, really? But yeah, nobody wants to do that. I don't blame them because what else? How are you going to reach the men? They're under all this pressure. They... They feel like they don't spend enough time with their kids. They don't spend enough time with their wife. They don't make enough money. So you should spend more time at work. And it's an endless spiral of life that's got them by the tail. Mm. How do they escape this? Which is why that app is so important. What we're telling men is get together around doing things together, not around Bible study. Bible study is amazing, but you're not going to make friends. And it's just going to be this obligation. Get together, get to know some godly guys who are golfers. If you're a golfer, skiers, hikers, fishermen, hunters, basketball players. What is it that you like to do? Get with some brothers who like to do that. Now your wife on Saturday is not saying, really, you want to go golfing? I mean, you've been gone all week. Now she's going, you know, when you go to those golfing with those guys from Promise Keepers, you come back a better man. Mm. I want you going golfing on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? So I think We've lost the ability to make friends because, frankly, I just don't have time to go hang out with some guy for no reason. Right. I just don't. But if the dude wants to go skiing with me, cool. 
And in the, on the chairlift throughout the day, we're sharpening each other. We're talking about Christ. So I think that's really a, a big part of this. Now, accountability comes from trust. So if you want to tell me about how I should you know, be a cop in South Central, you don't have a lot of credibility. I'm not <laughs> really interested. If I'm going to tell you about how to grow a great beard, I don't have a lot of credibility. You're not really interested in hearing me tell you about how to grow a great beard, right? So in order to have accountability, you have to build relationship and establish trust. Christians have violated this over and over and over. We run up against someone's face. If you haven't built trust with me, shut up. You got nothing yeah. to say to me. So that's what we need to do. If we really want to disciple men, who are you? What have you done? Are you worth listening to on that subject? So that's why I think a lot of men aren't willing to be held accountable because they haven't, nobody has, has established that sort of trust with them that they think they should be accountable to them. Yeah. I, I think it's helpful. Uh, I guess with the app too, how I, it's going to help guys with accountability. I'm assuming, is it just finding them? Is there stuff within the app uh, beyond you? I know, I know you listed some resources, but how does it help in the, the accountability front? Yeah, there's already all these chats on there and chat rooms you can get into okay. specific issues. You'd be surprised, man. We've had guys on that app talking about struggling with same-sex attraction. And they're saying, I'm not, I'm not gay or anything, but I was abused, sexually abused as a boy. I struggle with this perversion. I don't know what to say. Because, you know, try to do that at church. Try to get with your small group and tell them, hey, man, I have same-sex attraction. You know, guys are not really going to be giving you a hug hello after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's tough. So it's a safe place on the app where you know, you know, you're talking to all these different guys and the amount of godly wisdom they're getting is incredible. The guys struggling, you know, a lot of pornography is just straight up lost in it and all that. But a lot of it is also just trauma. Guys medicating themselves with trauma. These are things I didn't know anything about. I mean, I had a very healthy upbringing. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a good point. Uh, Ken, one of the questions I was going to ask too, is we we're talking about thinking back of the promise keepers, the nineties, there was some other stuff that was going on too. Obviously, uh, in your neck of the woods, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, that stuff seemed like it was really resonating with men. I, I wonder if you look back at that time period, one of the questions I've asked is why? Like, what was going on culturally uh, that people were resonating uh, with those books, that, that type of, you know, thought? Uh, curious if you've had any thought on, on why that was so prominent. I have. So let me let me start with a weird analogy and see if I can't tie it in effectively. So, yeah, if you want to think about how much culture has changed, just think about this. Throughout most of the history of the world. People were really polite to each other. My degree is in English literature, so I've read all these you know books. And if you look, read all these books that are written back in Tolstoy and all that. People are ridiculously polite all the time. Why were they so polite? Well, because if I offended you, you could challenge me to a duel. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, if yeah. you challenge me to a duel and I refuse, I'm out of society. I'm, I'm a coward. I'm branded. Boom. If I accept it, I could die. <laughs> Similarly, if I offend you and you don't challenge me to a duel, you're seen as a coward. So what, what do we do? We're all really polite to each other, right? Dueling went out in the, you know, the old West was kind of the last part we had that. And then right. we had just fighting. So still, it was accepted throughout culture. That if you did something offensive and somebody punched you in the nose, you, you didn't sue. I mean, the judge would go, well, you, you said something offensive, you go punch in the nose, you got what you deserve. The 90s <laughs> right. was really where the first semblance of this sort of breakdown, I'm not talking about dueling, it was just an analogy, 
of the basic yeah. way we've seen things forever. In America, we had a Judeo-Christian um, idea, and we all had the same idea what being a man was. In the 90s was the first time it started to break down. And so I think people were seeking out truth. Promise Keepers, John Eldridge, the early 2000s, really open to what's all this. Now we've seen it's advanced so far now that we have a new generation that doesn't even know what I'm talking about. They don't even know the new generation. Another part of that, in America, we basically all had the same basic experience in that there were three TV channels. You know, you either watch Walter Cronkite or David Brinkley to get your news. So we right. all got the same news. We all had the same experience. Everybody watched MASH. Everybody watched Happy Days. You know, everybody watched The Cosby Show. Well, now we don't have the same experience. I literally could get my news completely different source from somebody else. So if you watch Fox News and I watch MSNBC, we're getting a completely different take on the world and a completely different view of what's going on in America and what's important. And you, you know, all these different TV shows. So our experiences are different. My point being now, I think men are lost in seeking what's the truth, where is it? Things have changed so much. Who can I trust? What we need to do, at, like a Promise Keepers, what you're doing with your podcast, we must create a movement to say, this is truth. And, and I think people, especially who have given a life to Christ, they recognize truth when they see it. We know the transgender movement is insane. I think 99% of the people out there know it's insane. Why are we not pushing back? Well, you look at the pressure right. on corporations that we could get onto forever. Oh, yeah. Mindless pastors and leaders that we've talked about. People not wanting to stand up against the truth. Suddenly you feel like if I'm a voice out there, I feel like Elijah, like, God, where is everybody else? I think that's a part of what Promise Keepers is bringing to the fore here. It's, oh, there's a lot of other people like me. Not everyone's lost their mind. So I think that's why you saw all those books so popular at that time. And a lot of this has faded away. I think now there's a new generation of time where people don't necessarily accept that you know what you're talking about just because you're a pastor. Yeah. Those days are over. You need to prove that you actually are worth listening to, no matter who you are, what your title is, if you really want to have an influence in America. Well, that's it, it's a really interesting point. I, I've often thought this because you look out and you say, okay, the men that I grew up with, even pastorally, but just prominent men speaking about masculinity, John MacArthur, John Piper, these guys, like they're at the age where they're either dying or retiring. There is going to be a transition, whether anybody likes that or not. That's just the way the world works. But that's sort of what I've tried to put my finger on the pulse of, not really understanding what it is yet, but what is going on? Who's going to take kind of the mantle for a lot of these issues, masculinity, biblical sexuality. Some of them, no doubt, will be pastors, other leaders. I'm curious if you look at that, like in the current moment, do you see sort of that, that sort of same thing happening? Um, have you been able to identify any parts of that movement and, and where you think it's headed? Yeah, it's funny. My heart really is with you on what you're saying as far as you know, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll. Yeah. Piper. Um, these were guys that we all, you know, that were kids in those days. I mean, I grew up with my mom always had MacArthur or Swindoll on in the van as we rode around. Yeah, um, we 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 accepted what they had to say as godly giants. And now I, I do think there are a lot of godly people. The difference being when those guys were talking, they were on radio shows. They were the voices. Now. There's so many voices, you know, look at social media and podcasts and all Big this time. that you're like, where's the truth? Like, who should I be listening to? 
I would say the people who are going to come out of this thing are the people who declare God's word without apology. Mm. Grace. And what, that's what MacArthur is, right? MacArthur is yeah. not, not loving and snuggly. He just tells you no. what God's word says. You know, I mean, his kind of basic attitude is, what about what God's word says? Don't you understand? They're stupid. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think right now we see so much compromise. I do believe that those voices who are persistent and consistent will not relent declaring God's word, will come out of all this confusion with a clear message in time. And I do believe that those people who are compromising God's word have a, have a, a bad judgment coming their way. I mean, James says that those who want to lead and, and, and teach scripture are going to face a harsher judgment. Man, if you're up there on that pulpit and you are not being clear about God's word and you are misleading people, I wouldn't want to be you. Second Corinthians 5.10, baby, I would not want to be you at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point, Ken. And, and I guess the last question I want to ask you, you know, it's, it's tied to even like this podcast. I think of what you were saying, but where we've seen success is really on a couple issues. Number one, speak what is true and often taboo, uh, but also insanely practical. I've often been shocked where I'm like, I'm going to say this thing and it's pretty basic. Like, okay, if you're looking for a wife, here's like five things you should do. And to me, I'm like, this, this is not, I mean, I don't have a PhD in this. I'm just saying that here's a little bit of street smarts to figure this issue out. And what I found is guys are like, oh my gosh, I've never heard this or, you know, whatever that, that that's what people are finding helpful. So taboo, practical, those are important. Uh, but I want to ask you specifically, as you think about, okay, I know you interact with the public sphere a lot. It could wear you down, right? You've been creep of the week multiple times. You could be creep of the year. We don't even know. Maybe they do have that award. But as you look at those things, like, how do you stay resilient? How do you not let it get to you? Uh, I see these people on Twitter. I deal with them. And not always, they're not always very friendly to me. There's a lot of blocking that happens there. So how do you keep your wits about you uh, in the midst of all that you've got to deal with, face, speak truth to? I remember what? After one of those creep of the week things, I got like, it just lit up Twitter. I was oh, getting yeah. crazy death threats. People like, where's this guy live? We're going to go kill him, you know, all this stuff. And somebody said to me, aren't you, aren't you worried? And I said, you know, the guys who are saying this are in their underwear screaming at their mom for their meatloaf. Oh, you, you know, know it. These are not Navy SEALs. You know? <laughs> no. But, There's a cat in the profile picture. I think we're okay. <laughs> we're going to be okay. Yeah. If they have their pronouns on it, I'm not worried. You know yeah. I love God's word. Mm. I, I, and I, I'm not trying to sound pious. I'm just giving real advice. I, I love God's word. And I love to pray through God's word. I, I have a hard time, not that I don't do it, but going somewhere silent, getting on my knees and praying. I, I do it, but it's not natural for me. What is natural for me is to open up the Bible and just devour it and read it. And yeah. then pray while I'm in the Bible. Last night I was just reading Daniel and listening to how he was praying to the Lord, thinking, oh man, you're learning how how he was talking to God was like, Daniel's a good guy to take lessons from. Yeah. I, I think you really, depending on what your personality is, mine is I like quiet and I'm an introvert and I like to be with my wife, with my dog at my feet that I was yelling at earlier and read scripture around the fire at night. That's just what I do for fun. You know, and I also love to read perspectives. I see the books behind me. I've, I've read all of these, you know, I love Andrew Murray, who was a pastor in South Africa in the 1800s. And I love yep. to read Oswald Chambers and, and, um, John Calvin and Martin Luther and all that stuff. So that's what I love to do. But I would say the world will get to you. Just remember that Jesus promised you that when you're on the road to holiness, 
you know when you've gotten there, when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you, rejoice, great mm. is your reward in heaven. So it doesn't always feel good, but you know that if you're declaring truth in grace and love without compromise, people will hate you. And I've say a lot, I've been quoted a lot of saying, you can judge people say you can judge a man by his friends. I say you can judge a man by his enemies. Mm. Who hates you and why? Wow. You don't have any enemies, you ain't doing it right. Because Jesus promised you, if you love him and you stand for truth, you will be hated. So if you don't have any enemies, something's probably wrong. Something's probably wrong. Yeah, if amen. If your old daughter thinks you're cool, something's <laughs> probably wrong. If you know what FRFR or busing mean in a text thread, you may be doing something <laughs> wrong. I, I had to look those up. Yes. See, so you're good. <laughs> Apparently. You're definitely good. Well, Ken, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. It's been wonderful talking with you. We, of course, will have links in the show notes uh, for your book and other places people can catch up with you on social media. Again, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, man. I want advice from you on how to grow a beard like that. You got to eat a lot of red meat. It's red meat, red meat and raw eggs. That's what I tell people. It's got to be rare, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you can't cook it. Maybe (laughs) grill marks. But it's bringing out the, you know, the primal in you, I think. Yeah, I don't think I have what it takes. <laughs> Not everybody does. It's also genetic. That's the other thing. Yeah. Well, awesome, Ken. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. We do appreciate all of our supporters on Patreon. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter, please consider joining for as little as $5 a month. You can also join for $10 a month and you get a free Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee cup, which we will send to your doorstep. By the way, new Chris and Impress conference upcoming. We're excited to announce that Toby Sumter will be doing some of the speaking there. We have a ton of great guests as well, including Matt Reynolds. He's going to be talking about how you can get strong as men. We've got Nick Solheim from American Moment. The guys from New Founding will be there and tons of other folks. So it's going to be very, very exciting. Hope that you'll join us. You can follow the link in the show notes to sign up for the conference. Come hang out with us. We'll eat some steaks. We'll smoke some cigars and we will have a great time networking and learning how we, we, you are the plan. That's the conference title. You can learn how to better position yourself to be a builder in the new Christendom with us. Until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.